Welcome back to Avanti Security Insights, where best practice cybersecurity meets the real world workplaces and roadblocks we all have to secure. I'm your host, Ashley Stryker. And with us today is our OJ host with the most, Chris Gettle, and recurring host, Amanda Whitturn. Amanda, Chris, welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a very long time since I know we've all three spoken, but um, I, I, how have things been since uh, last we left our heroes? Good. Yeah, I've uh, I've uh, actually been back and forth between Europe and a few places around the U.S. visiting and speaking to customers quite a bit. So that's been exciting. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of good activities there. Amanda, things calmed down at all? No, but. Worlds is on for my favorite video game, and my team is doing really well. So that has been a highlight of the last couple of weeks. Oh, congrats! <laughs> thank you, thank you. Huge fan. I used, I used to be keeping up more with the um, the international for Dota Two. My husband's a big fan, so I missed it this year. I, I was busy with you know new job and all that. So, um, so I figured today. Um, I, w I was doing some marketing for other activities and was going back through our webinars. And I came across an interesting conversation that Chris, I know you had with one of our guest analysts from Tag Cyber, uh, John Masserini. And in that particular discussion, you guys kind of mentioned vendor risk management, which I thought was one of the most made up buzzwordy jargon terms. <laughs> I think I've heard in a while, but, but as I was listening to the discussion, I was having some trouble wrapping my head around it. So I, I figured I'd like to pitch that to you guys. And, and I guess, first of all, can, can you just define it in not jargon for me here? Somebody? So I, I think the best way to frame this up is think about all the organizations that your company does business with. It could be the, the vendor who's managing your HVAC system. It could be the vendor who's doing the physical security for your building. It could be contracted resources that are doing development for a solution that your company is using. Um, it can be a number of things. The, the companies that you're um, doing business with from a marketing perspective. How many different third-party vendors is our marketing team uh, interacting with, I mean, we've got a PR agency, we've got our producer agency for things like our own podcast, right? All of these things are third-party vendors that Avanti does business with. Uh, so that that's kind of like at a high level, think about those, those are the vendors that we're talking about here. Now, what types of risks do those vendors pose to us? Amanda, do you want to jump in on, on that part? Because I know this is an area you deal with a lot. Are you kidding? There's no risks whatsoever. I don't even have <laughs> conversation over. We can think of vendors as bodies, right? A, a, a physical support system, right? But you've also got vendors doing things like monitoring and alerting, you know, for, for threats. You've got vendors that are providing things like firewall protection, um, even your email service, right? And if you think about what goes back and forth in emails, while not always appropriate, are still very critical, right? Uh, so, so when you're thinking about the vendors, the scope is huge. How much of even our daily lives are supported by, you know, 
everybody else, right? So, so yeah, the risks are there to nothing for your paper supplier. They're to everything with your antivirus, your malware protection, um, your physical security of a data center. So when you look at vendor risk management, it can get complicated in knowing exactly what the risks are. Um, but, but there is limitless value to stopping and thinking about what that is. Okay. So you said that a paper, it, it depends on the type of service and the type of support that your vendor offers to you to offer a domestic analogy. Um, if I were to give my house key to my neighbor as an emergency break glass, something happens at my house while I'm away, there is a risk that they could put the key to my house in a junk drawer and their junky grandkid visiting could find it in the junk drawer and then invade my house and take my Xbox. I don't, I'm making this up, but like, it's that kind of a, a risk assessment. And so it's, it's not just what you give your vendors access to, but are they taking care of what you give them? Let's, let's take that a step further. It's interesting that you make that analogy, right? Because that's where Chris started as well. A person who's doing something, right? But for example, I have a robot vacuum that has complete mapping technology because I'm a technology person, but not a engineer because engineers would never have this. But I have my little vacuum that will map my entire house, every single room. It lets me set things like this is an off limits zone and I want you to do this every Thursday. It will let me set different levels of my house and remember all of that data. On top of that, it will send me alerts like, oh, I ran into this thing. I don't recognize it. This could potentially be, you know, a hazard. You need to take a look at it. One of the features it has is pet hazards. It will automatically recognize because not only does it have a sensor that like tells it if it's bumped into something, but it has a sensor that like actually not quite videos, but you know, to the extent that it can actually do an analysis, right? So, that is an insanely high risk vendor, right? Because I'm giving that company a complete layout of my house at any given time. The robot knows when I'm home. It knows my schedule. Absolutely. So when we're talking about vendors, it's really, really important to realize it's not just the people that are providing the service. It's what you give them and what they have access to. In addition to, you know, the really important part, I think, of this conversation being you've got to do that thought process. You have to identify what services and vendors you are using and and take those two points into account. OK, so so let's build off of that then. I would never have thought my vacuum I bought my husband for Father's Day because he likes a vacuumed floor and I don't really care could be that much of a hazard. And I'm sitting here going, maybe I need to just unplug it and kill it with fire. So like, I wouldn't have thought of that. How can, I, and I mean, that's your job to think about it. That's why you have security professionals to think about these things. For people who aren't used to thinking about these things, who, who stakeholders internally, C-suite, other executives, not in security, who, might be involved in these conversations, how can you identify 
how can you help explain to them how you identify vendors that are high risk, but not often thought of like, like the vacuum versus vendors who, you know, don't really matter much? Like, how do you make that differentiation? Well, I don't mean to be contrarian and always call out something that you say, but you do make an interesting point before I move to that answer. You talked about the management and executive leadership, right? But they're not necessarily the ones that really need to know that stuff. It's the ground floor. It's the person who's configuring a system. It's a, a PR person or marketing that's using the software, right? It's the people who are daily interacting with those. Now, ultimately, obviously, when I'm talking about our C-suites, they have decisions they have to make around cost and, and overall security to what we report to them. But in order to keep things safe, the really important people to educate are the people using those vendors in some capacity. I'm feeling really guilty because I... I got in a little bit of trouble for requesting a third party vendor to do part of my job because I couldn't do it with the authorized apps and security was. So let's pretend that people on this call need to be educated, Amanda. <clears throat> Oops. <laughs> There's probably a couple of really good examples that point out like how broadly this is concerning. HVAC vendor who led to, you know, one of the earliest and largest kind of um, data breaches in the retail space. Um, you know, on the, um, the, the social media side, a third party vendor who was being trusted with data coming from a social media platform used that data for tracking a whole bunch of things that contractually was not agreed to by all the users of said platform. There, there's, um, you know, uh, APIs that you expose to third-party vendors that allow application developers to interact with the data coming from there, suddenly being turned into uh, an application that could basically socially stalk people and tell you everything you need to know about them to manipulate them to do that evil bidding. Um, all of those, there's real-world examples behind each of those scenarios. So there's data, there's access, there's the diligence of the environments. One of the one of the technologies that I work with, and some of you who are watching this, you know that I work a lot with our patch management technologies. Ivanti creates a catalog of content. And from the point where that's developed through to the point where it's available to all of you, there's a life cycle for all of that. And we need to make sure that we've guaranteed the the content all throughout that. Because one of the you know larger examples of a ransomware attack worldwide, not Petya, was facilitated first. The initial launch of that was done by an attacker breaking into a vendor and injecting malware into their update system. All of these things, uh, another example of a ransomware attack where the attacker targeted an MSP platform and ended up ransoming 400 dental offices. Why would they attack dental offices? Well, they weren't going to ransom those individually. They were like three-chair dental office in a small town somewhere. They were targeting the MSP. The leverage was, you've got 400 dental offices that put their trust in you, and now they want you to pay up. All of those are examples of how third parties put us at risk. So with that context, Amanda, if you had to break this down into a handful of things that you really need to make sure that you're establishing in your vendor risk management program, how would you break that down? Let me break it down and then let me add a story. 
So uh, I, I think we've touched on all of the really important parts that I would break this into. It's one, what data are you giving to your vendor? Uh, two, what are they getting access to? And three, how important due diligence and doing your homework uh, really are and how, how that can pay out in, you know, immediately or, or over time in the long run. So fun story. I don't know if this is going to be censored, but I'm going to tell you guys the story anyway. <laughs> so we, we're, we're all aware there was that big hack in uh, 2016. Um, someone will correct me, but there was a big hack where they went in and they uh, used people's household appliances. That's why the vacuum was an example that popped up to me in order to collectively create a network large enough to shut down through like DDoS attacks, uh, huge organizations like uh, Amazon, the shopping was down for almost a, no, I'm not gonna say that because I don't actually remember. However, the point being a huge organization was brought down using things like uh, a Samsung refrigerator, a smart toaster, and some maybe fun toys in the bedroom that also happen to be accessed through an app. No! Yes. So when, when we're talking about <laughs> vendors, you really have to consider what you're giving them, what they have access to, and, and, do, and do your due diligence. Have this conversation. Okay, so I would... Um... Okay, then. Um, this is revenge for the USB condom intro is all I'm It thinking. absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, That's it absolutely you know what? is. That's yeah. fair. First off, let's tackle your three points here, Amanda, one by one. One, know what data you're giving them. And that's one of the ways in which you can effectively mitigate risk with vendors and assess how risky a vendor might be. How do you do that? on both a planning level and then on a dynamic day-to-day -day level? So if we go back to our examples, right? Chris said a, a data center or a HVAC, you know, I'm, I'm talking about things like the vacuum, but additionally, you know, other, other services like the, like the uh, data loss protection or uh, firewall, right? The first question you have to ask is, what are you giving them? What kind of information are you going to transfer from you or your company to them? So in the case of the vacuum, it's my entire house, my schedule, you know, a video of everything that's going on. But that needs to be the number one question. What are you giving them? Because if you're giving them things like your mailing address so that they can deliver your ream paper to the office, obviously that's significantly less risk than if you give them uh, uh, all the employees information. So like an HR software where you enter in the social security number and you know all of that thing. And there's everything in between, like Chris has already mentioned, you, you've, got to, you've got to think about it and list it out. It, it's when I'm talking about due diligence, which I think we'll get to, one of those things is to take the moment, identify what that is before you can even assess whether the vendor poses you know, a high or a low risk. 
So for example, and I'm not saying we do this in marketing. I truly am not. I'm just, this is my first, this is my first wheelhouse. Hypothetically, I could have, let's say I have two different vendors and I'm going to go back to people just as, as, because that's easy for me to grasp. One freelancer is working with me to write email copy. They have access to a shared Google Drive where we both talk about and, and do comments back and forth. And I give them some data sheets some public accessible information off the website and point them in the right direction for the information I want them to use for the email. The other vendor I'm using, I'm using to build the emails within my database. And within my database, I have first name, last name, email addresses, phone numbers, and I'm an international company. Of the two vendors, the first one doesn't have access to what I'm going to call like the, those red flag sensitive kind of information, which is the personally identifying information, the, the, the regulated information per se. And it's all publicly accessible for the most part. And if they were to break in to the rest of that Google Drive where I might be working with other vendors, it's just the stuff that's going to be public anyway. Versus the vendor who I'm giving carte blanche access to my database because I'm tired and I don't want to get them a new seat and I don't want to pay for that new seat. So I'm just giving them my login. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure Chris has seen that those, those, those different examples all of the time. Um, but, but now we're having that conversation, right? You're, you've just done the assessment for me. You've identified what you're giving them. Uh, however, we could transition, right? Cause you make another good point. You are talking about what access, what you're giving them access to. So in your examples, you're not necessarily transferring your data to them to perform some sort of manipulation, for example, or uh, uh, an analysis, or even to be able to provide you some other service, right? You're actually giving them access into your system, which I think was, was my next point, right? It's not just about what data they have, it's about what data they have access to. What are some different ways in which you can monitor access and permissions from a vendor perspective? You've got some options. I will tell you another horror story. So my, my background comes strongly from a risk and compliance side, right? So I did technology consulting prior to joining Avanti. And a client uh, had engaged us to perform an audit of a, a particular vendor where digital assets. So the, the databases that they had were records of ownership for digital assets. Now, uh, they had made an assertion, the, the, the vendor had made an assertion of the quality and security of their systems. And so what the, what it, what had previously happened is, all right, well, the, the vendor has assured us this is the case. So we're going to move forward with this transaction where, again, their ledger, insanely uh, dangerous kind of material, um, or at least you could leverage it or destroy it or, or gain a lot of money off of it. But anyway, so they moved forward with the transaction and on the back end said, okay, we're going to do uh, an audit. And they engaged us to do their audit of their security system. And as it turned out, this company had far and above the scariest infrastructure that I had ever seen. They had uh, an AWS configuration that was 
the most bizarre stru you know, structure. Uh, and when I pressed them about certain things, it had turned out that everyone in engineering, whether they're a developer or QA or even sort of those admins or people who could push changes, had access to every environment all what? of the time. Right. So to answer your questions, one of those things that you can do to the extreme is simply perform an audit. Now, that's where you engage a third party and they go in and do their independent assessment. But another really good way to do that is through just simply vendor questionnaires. Sometimes the easiest way to go is just ask them the questions about what they have in place. Again, product management side. Uh, we were assisting uh, the sales and um, actually our, our security team as well is in involved in this process. But uh, whenever a uh, questionnaire comes in or we're working on an RFP for, uh, you know, especially larger opportunities, they come in and some of these questionnaires are like 200 plus questions that we have to go through. And it's everything from, you know, uh, is everything you developed all developed in-house? Is any of it done in, you know, what what countries is it developed in? What, uh, you know, things, things like that matter. How is the content delivered? Is it digitally signed? Is it, um, if it's in a cloud environment, is that cloud environment, um, you know, SOC 2 compliant? Is it, um, if it's like, uh, you know, depending on government level, uh, in the U.S., we have FedRAMP. Many people are familiar with that in all parts of the world. You know, Australia has their own. Um, France is working on developing their own. The the Netherlands, I was just out there. They're working on their own GovCloud. Um, Germany has their own GovCloud. Like all of these, you have to like make sure that the the information you've got is in a certified environment for a cloud environment. That's, you know, those... The questionnaires can get very broad on exactly, you know, what it is that your software is doing, um, what it can interact with. Does it have any personally identifiable information? Um, did that solution, you know, what was the chain it followed from development test all the way through to getting in the hands of the customer and potentially their customers? Um, so questionnaires can get quite diverse and complex. Uh, but a lot of it all comes back around to making sure, to Amanda's point, that they've done their due diligence. If this software gathers information about, you know, our employees or our customers, is that information ever crossing, um, you know, boundaries that we need to be concerned about? Data sovereignty in this day and age is a huge, huge issue. Um, where's your data center? If there's anonymized data, like, you know, we do a lot with AI and ML in our solutions, we get a lot of questions about the, um, the, the algorithms we use, where the information's, um, you know, taken, uh, you know, how it's, you know, brought out into the point where it's anonymized. I literally had to help dry diagram showing that um, information that we were anonymizing to give telemetry on, you know, patch reliability, that it's sanitized before it even leaves the customer's tenant. And, you know, this the customer who was asking was definitely doing their due diligence, but they were like, you know, this is proprietary information. 
uh, that we need to make sure is protected about our environment. So, you know, that information was leaving the tenant already sanitized. And then it would go through another round of, uh, um, you know, kind of uh, um, analysis before it would go into what we call our data lake. The data lake is the only point where then it scales out to a global perspective and starts crossing borders. And it's multiple times removed now from any sense of, you know, being anything uh, legibly um, linking back to that customer's information. So that's the level of seriousness that a vendor has to take to get through to that. And the types of questions that you need to ask as a, you know, a consumer of these technologies, you know, it, it gets, you know, rather complex to do that. So 200 question, you know, questionnaires. I mean, I, I think that's probably getting to average, maybe even on, on the smaller side now. The average? Yeah. But but there are there are ways. I mean, you you make a good distinction there, Chris. There's questionnaires, and there's also just questions. So in the case of my vacuum, I knew what they were asking for, and I had questions, and I looked it up. I went to their terms and conditions and read through that, which everyone absolutely should. I know Facebook's is like 173 pages long or something, but you should. Um, so, you know, and then, and then went further. Uh, you can solicit documentation such as a SOC 2 report or other certifications that companies and vendors go through that attest to those attributes. So in my horror story, we were the third party. We ultimately produced a report that was then made available to people. So the questionnaires we find that come in and, and 200 questions is, yeah, let's call it, let's call it average. But, but from someone who used to build that program and deploy it for a billion multinational, you know, billion dollar multinational companies, I can tell you that sometimes you really have to ask those questions and, and, <laughs> As, as many of those questionnaires that we get in, we do appreciate everyone's due diligence and, and we are always striving to have those answers. So when I do define due diligence and we're talking about these questionnaires, part of that due diligence is the, is making your own answers to the first two things. Once you can identify that risk, then you know the degree of due diligence that you have to do. Right. So for the paper supply company that you have, some of the questions might be, are the people uh, delivering it licensed to work in the United States or the country that they're in? Right. Like th those types of, of, of very surface level questions versus somebody who, in your case, Ashley, you gave access to, you know, directly plug into your emails and, and generate this kind of stuff, right? Once you can answer those first two questions, you know to the level that you need to do the due diligence. I think we've talked about, you know, I think we've hammered on those first two points. What are they, what data do they have? What access do they have? We're talking about, you know, now the questions that you need to ask, right? Part of the due diligence is, is, what information can I get from them? The other part of due diligence is what do I have in place to protect against that? So it's not only outward looking about what your vendors can be providing in their security, but also they're not always going to do everything that you feel is necessary to protect your data. And so there's got to be an inward looking reflection as well that says, hey, so for in your example, Ashley, again, you know, if you're giving this sort of um, 
you know, broader access to a vendor in order to be able to manage, you know, things like your emails, right? Then you have to say, okay, obviously I don't want certain pieces of information to get out. The vendor may have things like an NDA. So they're contracted to not disclose anything. They may have their own security controls, like a very well-developed information security program, which I happen to be a part of. However, there's clearly things that you would be worried about leaving your company. So in that case, do you have a data loss protection? Do you have an uh, IDS, IPS? You know, what, what do you have in place? So really, we've got two points of view here. Part of your due diligence is what do I need to know to the customer or the vendor so that they're doing what they need to do? And what do I have concerns over that I have control over? And sort of it's just kind of that two part, um, that that two part, uh, uh, you know, answer. Well, and, and that gets back to the whole crux behind security in general, but especially cybersecurity, right? It's the most secure thing ever is something with no internet access in the middle of the desert, 20 feet below the surface, only accessible by a weight lock. And, but that's not functional in today's society. So, so like there's, there's how do you balance those security questions and optimal security with, with, especially when you're dealing with vendors with the, pragmatic side of of actually day-to-day operations. I mean, um, we have freelancers. We, we commission freelancers to do various different types of work. And because Avanti is so concerned with its security, it can be a devil and a half from, from a team perspective to get them. And, and we're happy to play ball because we at Avanti, every department at Avanti understands just how mission critical security is. So we're happy to do that. But boy, do faces fall when I ask, hey, we got this security thing you got to do before I can get get on retainer. Like, like, so, so there's a real tension between security and business ops. There can be. No, you're absolutely right. There can be. But you know, you asked in the beginning about the C-suite level, management level, right? And how do you communicate to them? Well, there are financial impact to vendor risk management that can expand simply beyond security. So uh, for example, tech debt. If you have a larger organization, you don't want four different companies offering the same product that you're all paying separately at four separate rates when you could have one company, not only could you pick the one with the most security, but you can save dollars there as well. But also going back to the security, it's easy to think, all right, well, if they have access to my social security number, there are these number of things that could happen. And simply by paying a company to constantly monitor that activity for my social security number, I mitigate those, those don't cost money. So there's multiple benefits that we're talking about. I know we're focused on security, but there are a lot of other benefits that both financially impact and for convenience. But I want to make one other point. You talk about, you know, these hoops that you have to jump through, right? It really is a discussion of risk versus reward. Are the convenience uh, or the services that a vendor provides worth 
the risk that you've identified by asking those first two questions, right? What, what are we giving them and what do they have access to? I recently bought a smart litter box and I don't know how I didn't do this sooner in my life. It is amazing. It's like pressure sensitive and it, so it like, it can do, it can do insane things like track the movements of my cat and give me like a breakdown. So if it ever gets irregular, it can like send me a warning, right? It can also send to my phone when the little catch box gets full, right? And then, you know, I know I've got to change it out or whatever, but when you talk about that kind of stuff, all right, super great, right? Like I don't have to even pay attention. I can just get pinged, you know, whenever I need to change it, right? But if I do that, I now have a smart litter box that I'm sending information, you know, to that is then letting me know, is it really worth the amount of information that I'm going to get so that I don't have to go check it periodically? Right. So it is kind of to answer your question, it is kind of like a risk reward. Are, are you really getting the value for something to the risk that you might be giving a vendor? Admittedly we are much more deliberate on the vendors that we present to move through that process simply because we want to make sure it's worth it for everybody. <laughs> and, and, and so there is a, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, that there is a bit of a self-selection um, conservative effort and savings that, that and does there, there should be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Chris. You know, when, when you start to get down to like real examples of this, I think most people have experienced this at some level. Um, it makes total sense when you're going through it. Um, you know, why do we put our trust in third parties? Well, you as an organization will never be able to build, manage, and secure a SaaS infrastructure the way that Microsoft Azure or the Amazon AWS environment is managed. All of us as vendors know that. And, you know, majority of SaaS software that you all, like, you know, are consuming on a regular basis are developed and hosted in environments for that. And that's done for a reason. They provide a level of validation and infrastructure and, and scrutiny that they specialize in so that we can focus on the things that we do well, right? It just, it makes it so, so that we've got um, a more complex ecosystem that we have to, to work in, which is fine. Again, to Amanda's point, it's all about risk versus reward. Um, you know, if we were to save 50% on our SaaS, um, you know, uh, costs because we went with vendor X and they, you know, are a lesser known quantity, they, you know, uh, the, it, it can get very difficult um, to, to put your trust into. So you've got to pick and choose your battles. There's going to be some choices that are always really easy. There'll be other ones where it's like, Hey, this is a specialized skill. There's absolutely no way we're going to staff this in house. We want to outsource this. Then there's other ones where it's just a supplemental thing. Like, Hey, you know, most organizations now supplement their security, um, teams with an additional like managed threat hunting service. That's just something that most organizations now are doing because, you know, it used to be that EDR was like a high enterprise. That's the only people who could staff a team big enough with the right skill set to actually do these things for that to come down into the mid market. We all had to really start to tap into a managed service of professionals who do this stuff on a regular basis, who can supplement what we're doing. So 
as you're looking through and deciding, you know, what things you're going to outsource, one, what things you're going to keep in there, that risk conversation comes into play. To the whole point about doing that, though, is you're deferring risk to a specialized service. You have to make sure you're doing your due diligence or you're potentially at risk if something were to go wrong. Um, many of those examples that I mentioned earlier on, the trust that they put into a third party, if they were found to have not done their due diligence, there could be very steep fines, um, you know, uh, class action lawsuits, other things like that, that could happen as a result of not doing that. So putting a little extra time and effort into your vendor risk program is definitely worth its while. Um, trying to, you know, focus on the vendors that you need to spend more time on and those that you can audit a little bit less regularly and just make sure that they're contained, they're, the access they have, they're, they're not taking any data, they don't have access to anything critical, they've only got a limited, you know, access. Figure out how to seg- segment your, your vendors into a hierarchy that's manageable. All of these things are doable. It's just a matter of, um, you know, Amanda said this before, the amount of effort you put in is going to, you know, return a, a different level of reward. If you put the right amount into this, you will provide a much better risk mitigation for your organization. Yeah, and absolutely. Ashley, I've got to step in before. I know I know we may be coming to time, but I've got to make three quick points. One, everyone at home should appreciate the look of disbelief on Chris's face when I talked about a smart litter box. You you guys, you may have not have seen it and I can only think that maybe there are other people that may have that look, but I'm telling you, it's there amazing, a, okay? There's a meme generator there's out an, there that's just very excited for- Okay, yeah. two, two, I'm also gonna get a lot of hate for having a smart robot and a smart litter box because you're absolutely right. If someone is really in engineering and that type of thing, they absolutely live in the middle of the desert. They have no smart devices. And it really is the risk versus reward. You have to make that determination. But yeah, just to reiterate, you know, we've got those three points. What are they, uh, what are you giving them? What, what data are you giving them? What do they have access to? And, you know, all of our conversation, what are the due diligence that you need to do in order to accept a vendor and really make that determination of risk versus reward? So if, if somebody wants to, st- look at their due diligence and and kind of spruce it up, get started. It, it's been kind of an ad hoc thing, but they, they want to start to formalize it and make sure it is a part of the process of onboarding and continual assessment. Do you guys have any resources um, uh, just off the top of your head? And we'll put links in the show notes, of course, uh, to anything you guys mentioned, but uh, any organizations or specific resources you can think of to help somebody get started? Yeah, so there's a number of vendors on the market who specialize in vendor risk management. Um, I think if you're doing this in spreadsheets or manually in some way, um, that that the first thing you may want to do is, I'm not saying go out and buy one. I'm saying look at a few of those vendors because in the process of looking at them, you're going to learn a lot of things you could be doing better. Now, you may find the solution that will help you to do that. Now, um, you don't have to buy a solution like that to, to, to be successful with a VRM program. Our organization actually is doing it through our own service management platform. So Avanti Service Manager is, you know, being utilized in our own vendor risk uh, program here. But they've basically built a 
using the content available there, they've built a process around how we're va- managing vendors within that that structure. So um, the the point of that though is there's a lot of vendors who specialize in this. Um, you know that they they have done this for a living for a very long time. You will learn a whole lot just by investigating a handful of them. That would be probably the first place that I would start. It's absolutely true. And it is not an easy undertaking to have a fully matured vendor risk management program. Uh, it, it, the amount of effort that you could put into one could be your entire revenue, right? To, to the extent that you could really delve into this. But that goes back to the risk versus reward, right? But if we're talking about very smaller organizations or even people that own smart robots, uh, truthfully, um, Google it, just simply Google it, you know, spend some time understanding what the risks really are. In this conversation alone, we've made some good points about, you know, the, an HVAC or a paper supplier versus your uh, firewall provider, right? If you don't have the mindset or the understanding it's hard to be able to identify all of those risks. So even in a smaller organization or individually, take some time to just look into it. There are some frameworks that are available, um, like NIST, for example, where you can get a idea of a very mature program and all the requirements that go into that. And when you have an organization um, that's that's, you know, that has the potential for a lot of risk, that's absolutely a good way to go. I would second though what Chris is saying and that there are some things that you certainly cannot be a specialist in all of them in any size of your organization. So while we're talking about vendor risk, there certainly is a value to engaging a vendor in providing those services. So it's kind of a multi-tiered process Um, Start by educating yourself. I think I've said that on a couple of these, right? You've got to understand, you've got to know. And then uh, and then certainly we'll try to provide some uh, additional resources. That's not fair. I asked you guys so I could skip the Googling. All right. Fair enough. That's no fun at all. (laughs) I'm going to send everybody leaks to my to my to my smart litter box. You know, I'm just going to spread the word. I will actually put that in the show notes. No lie. All right. So, and with that, thank you, Amanda and Chris, for entertaining my very random question. Um, I, I do appreciate it. And, and you guys taking the time to, to talk with us today. And if you guys would like to talk to us too, um, especially if you guys have, would like to ask Amanda about if this is risky, I will field them and forward them to her. Uh, please go ahead and follow us at Go Ivanti, that's I-V-A-N-T-I. Um, check out the show notes uh, for this episode for all of the resources, which will, again, include that litter box. Uh, my boss is going to be very excited about that, I think. Um, and if you uh, like today's episode, you thought it was interesting, mildly entertaining, you got a single nugget out of it, you would like to learn more about the hacks involving unspeakable bedroom items, please subscribe. This is clearly going to be an oncurring, recurring theme of just useful information interspersed with trying to make each other ridiculous. Um, uh, please share 
the more you guys listen and the more you share and the more people who subscribe, the more the algorithm likes us and the more that we can talk to other people uh, about cybersecurity issues, both amusing and more than mildly terrifying. So uh, with that, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we'll see you here in a couple of weeks. Uh, stay safe and talk soon. Bye.